The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. It's our weekly environment spot with John Gibbons. So we've lots to talk about. And let's start. We had Jack Horgan-Jones telling us that there's sign-off in government for the emissions reductions targets. For agriculture, it's not going to be 22%, but it's not going to be 30%. It's going to be 25%. But what does that actually mean? Uh, good evening, Matt. Yeah, as you say, 25% for agriculture, which isn't exactly splitting the difference between uh, 22 and 30. Uh, but obviously, this is uh, this is where we're at. Uh, across the sectors, um, what we're hearing so far is uh, 35% for industry, uh, 50% for transport, uh, 45% for commercial buildings, uh, 40% for residential buildings and 75% for electricity. So and I'll get to all those yeah. in a second. I just want to no. talk about the thing because we were told anything more than 22% would... In res- need cows to be killed basically. Look, I know cows get killed every year and they get replaced by other cows but that if you total up all of the cows owned by farmers and companies around the country that we would have to reduce that number. Is that going to happen as a result of this? Yes, it is. Well, first of all, I think what what, what, what we can say for sure is that, say, the roadmap that Chagast, the State Agricultural Research Agency, they have a roadmap for dairy out to 2027, which is expansion all the way. Now, that's dead. I mean, that's RIP. So, uh, Minister McConlog needs to get the board of Chagast in to have a conversation about this. They're going to have to basically scrap that plan. We cannot continue expanding dairy out to 2027. So, that the, the phase of kind of runaway dairy expansion is over, basically. We can say officially that's over. Now, that's how you stop the numbers going up, Matt. Now, the really hard bit is how you get the numbers going back down again. The industry itself says that the sort of, you know, technical measures, as they call them, if fully implemented, this is things like direct injection, uh, slurry spreading and so on, right? Uh, Moving away from splash plates, all these things. If fully implemented, the best, the top line they reckon is maybe 18%. That's still a very large distance between that and 25%. The question is, how do you get, how do you close that up? And let's be honest, while Many people on the environmental side will be very disappointed to hear a 25% target for agriculture. In fact, it is, it, this is still require revolutionary change. Or more to the point, it requires a change in direction, a change in policy. Because remember, what got us into this hole in agriculture was a policy shift 10 years ago. What we need now is an equally dramatic policy shift in the other direction. So you ask the question, does this mean fewer cows in the national herd? the so-called national herd, absolutely. Now, how is that achieved? Uh, one of the, the, the linchpins, and again, like uh, other journalists, I'm operating on very perfunctory briefings, Matt, this afternoon. So the, these are subject to change over the next day, but I'll give you what I've got. What we're looking at is a huge push on anaerobic digestion. So anaerobic digestion, basically, this is where you take slurry from cattle, where you take food waste and grass, and basically you put them into anaerobic digesters and you cook methane, right? So now... Our grass-fed system makes that difficult because a lot of the slurry, a lot of the, the cow shit is directly dumped in the fields. So in other countries where that happens inside sheds, it's easier to capture. So it's not simple for us to do this. But they're looking at producing what's called 5.7 terawatt hours of biomethane from anaerobic digestion. And in, in, in plain language, that's a lot of energy. Now, what does that mean? That means the basically for farmers to start switching from from basically feeding grass to cattle to feeding grass to anaerobic digesters. Okay, that's the key 
shift here. And the difference is that when you feed grass to an anaerobic digester, yes, you're producing methane, but you can capture the methane, which you cannot do with cattle. And but you can use that methane? Oh, absolutely. Well. That methane then can be re-injected into, into the gas grid. It can be piped and pumped and, and liquefied and so on, right? And basically, we need energy sources, and this is one. Now, other people will tell you that there are all kinds of issues, technical issues with anaerobic digestion. For example, any type of methane leakage from it above about 2 to 3% and you've got huge emissions problems. So I don't think this is a silver bullet. But I believe the push here, and again, others who know better may be correcting this. But my understanding, Matt, is that this move on, on AD, this is the sort of deal changer. And the plan here is to reduce the, the cattle herd number by six-figure sum. I'm talking into the hundreds of thousands now, you talk to me about energy production, electricity, and the, what is it, 70% reduction in emissions? Yes, yeah, 70%. So that means moving away from oil and gas. But the problem is, every time you talk about putting up wind farms, even offshore, objection, 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 and they get delayed and they get delayed. So for the fact even 40% of our energy at present comes from wind, how the hell are we really going to be able to increase that dramatically between now and the end of the decade? I think part of the changes are, in fact, in planning changes, and including these are the changes in what are called the foreshore licensing regulations. This basically means making it easier and more straightforward to do uh, offshore development of wind. And, and again, the sources that I was speaking to this afternoon, apparently they're targeting very in the very short term, two gigawatts of offshore. And some of this matter... What does that mean? What that means, basically, sorry, two gigawatts, what is that? At the moment, the total energy output, say for a typical busy day in Ireland, at peak time, is about five and a half gigawatts. That's to run everything in the country on the electrical grid. So two gigawatts is a big chunk of that. But also, on top of that, we're looking at a huge and I mean massive, uh, upgrade on solar. And this I really took me by surprise. The plan is to convert, uh, to use the equivalent of 6,000 hectares of land for solar. Where? Right? What uh, land where? Any land you like. Any land you like. The point, of course... No, it's not any land you like because there'll be objections, planning permission and all the rest of it. If you start constructing solar farms, people will say, not, in my, not next to me. I suppose it takes a, a fair degree of nimbyism to object to a solar farm. Because basically you can put a solar farm into a field and the guy in the field next door can't see it. There are certain areas, for example, if a solar farm is directly under a flight path, you can get arguments about pilots getting, getting reflection. But for the rest of us, Matt, at, at ground level, you could drive past a solar farm. I've, I've driven, for example, through the south of England and it's only through a gap in the field that you realise you've just driven past a hundred acre solar farm. You can't even see them. You can't smell them. You, they make no noise. They're not going to upset your, your physical or your, your visual aesthetic. Your critics will be jumping on you now. Oh, John Gibbons was in a car in the south of England. What was he doing driving outside of Ireland? You shouldn't be driving at all. Leave that one past <laughs> because I do want to ask you about the idea of transport emissions being reduced. Because how the hell are we going to get to this target for electric cars that has been put in place? And indeed, somebody even said to me at the weekend, which is quite a fair question, if everybody is charging their one million cars at home overnight... What's that going to do to demand on the electricity grid? Well, quite a bit. I think part of that process, and of course it isn't just about electric cars, that's part of it, Matt. The other thing, of course, is uh, heat pumps. So we're going to have a lot more demand on the grid. But this this is one place, I think we've had this conversation before, where we can do okay because we have pretty much 
as much uh, renewable energy as we can manage to bring onshore, particularly as we move offshore. We've already done fairly well in Ireland by international standards. As you said, we hit the 42% uh, of renewable penetration on the grid. They bring that out to 75%. But I think transport, and Eamon Ryan, by the way, has flagged this, transport is going to be a really tough nut to crack. If we're looking at a 50% uh, by 2030, that basically means changing the whole transport model in Ireland. And while the big focus and all the argumentation has been about agriculture, transport is going to affect people's daily lives far more than what happens to, you know, a relatively limited number of farmers. Let's be honest about it. If we're going to get there, as you said, number one, we're talking about a complete revolution away from the internal combustion engine. But to be honest, Matt, that's coming anyway because the car industry globally mm-hmm. is basically getting out of the internal combustion business. It's as simple as that because it's over. Now, uh, we're also looking, we need to probably uh, dramatically upgrade the cycle networks in every city and town in Ireland. We need to pedestrianise our town centres. And we're also talking, by the way, not about simply replacing a million cars with a million EVs. We're talking here about a modal shift and replacing a million internal cars combustion cars with maybe a quarter of a million EVs and an awful lot more uh, joined up public transport and car sharing, Matt. Uh, Paul Ross Cummins says, John Gibbons is talking about reducing the number of cattle by hundreds of thousands. That's all well and good, but then where are we going to get our milk and our beef? You haven't thought this through, Paul says. Well, I can assure Paul that he will not run out of milk or beef because 90% of both of these are currently exported. So there's no danger of Paul running out of milk or beef anytime soon. And of course the critics would say we get Brazilian beef instead because the Brazilians will have more cattle if we reduce ours. Listen, I want to ask you very briefly, I want you to talk to me about James Lovelock. Absolutely. Uh, this this man is uh, much, I, I, I would call him the greatest scientist never to win a Nobel prize. An amazing character. He died this week, Matt, on his 103rd birthday. And he is so old that he was exempted service in the British Army in 1939 as a conscientious objector. Now, what James Lovelock did, uh, for example, he invented back in the 50s a device called the electron capture detection device. And this led, for example, it basically spurred the entire environmental revolution. It led to the detection in the atmosphere of DDT, PCBs and so on. A decade later, he discovered that man-made pollutants caused smog. Now, these are the things that we know as a fact now. And this one sort of rogue, renegade scientist did all this by himself. He also, by the way, probably is arguably his most important discovery is he discovered the presence of CFCs or chlorofluorocarbons in the global atmosphere. Now, he didn't understand how dangerous they were. He recognised that they existed in parts per billion, but people came after him and won the Nobel Prize for identifying that that CFCs were capable of destroying the ozone layer and rendering the earth uninhabitable. But James Lovelock, being being a scientist, what he said is, I made a gratuitous blunder. The mark of a scientist is, when you're wrong, you put your hand up, you fess up to it and you move on. That's what he was like. I met him actually about 10 or 12 years ago when he was a young buck of about 91. Uh, he, was in, he was in UCD uh, giving a talk around the launch of his book called The Vanishing Face of Gaia. And this is basically a warning around a theory that Lovelock developed called the Gaia theory, which is, and Gaia, by the way, is named after the Greek goddess of the earth. And the, essentially what Lovelock, who was an atmospheric uh, chemistry specialist, discovered when working for NASA back in the 1960s, he was looking at other planets and he was trying to figure out how would you identify a planetary signature for life and he made a revolutionary discovery that that the the things that that regulate life on Earth, which is the heat, oxygen, nitrogen, the gases, if you like, in our atmosphere, something was regulating them. 
And he's kind of going, how is that? How can this be? What is regulation? How come the Earth's uh, atmosphere remains stable over millions of years? For example, the oxygen concentration in the atmosphere today is 21%. Three million years ago, the atmosphere, the atmospheric content of oxygen was 21%. It's incredible. And what he discovered essentially is that life on Earth regulates the atmosphere. So we have an interaction between what we took to be an inert thing called the atmosphere, which includes the oceans and the interaction, and life. So plants and mammals and other life forms actually influence and shape and control the passing of gases from the atmosphere into the sea and back. It's an incredible discovery. So what that means, Matt, in simple terms is that you can think of the Earth essentially as a planetary living organism, right? This is the Gaia theory. Now, the the upshot of the Gaia theory, by the way, is the notion that the Earth's planetary systems are incredibly sensitive. And that's why Lovelock, for many people, is one of the fathers of global warming as well, because his warning is that if you get on the wrong side of Gaia, at the moment, Gaia has been very benign to us. You get on the wrong side of Gaia and you're in big, big trouble. John Gibbons, as ever, thank you for joining us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-